And welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler, buddy. How you doing tonight? It's a Tuesday night, man. We are coming off a dub. I'm tired. I haven't shaved this week due to numerous things going around my house here. But doing good, man. How about yourself tonight? Man, it's been a uh, a few days of recovery, <laughs> but I'm I'm getting back in the swing of things now. We got a good Tuesday under the belt. Um, Monday was a little rough, but what can we do? What can you do? Well, obviously, before we get into the recap, Mr. Siegla, let's go ahead and hail here Sieg's adventure in the Berg on Saturday. Uh, yeah, I ended up taking my my son with me to the game. Uh, we had a good trip in. Uh, hit a little uh, little traffic there just uh, just before two twenty on eighty one. So um, that slowed us up a little bit. Did a little tailgating. Uh, took took my son up to uh, Hokie Village for a bit. He got uh, got some photos with the cheerleaders, which eventually made the. Uh, the, the official video, the the post game vid, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, the the, um, the ten second mark approximately. It was pretty. Yeah, yeah. Pretty check sweet. out ten seconds. Uh, my kids there hanging out with the cheerleaders, so that was, that was pretty nice. He got got a picture with the hokey birds, so um, did a little bit more tailgating, ate some food, hit the game, found my seats, jumped to Sandman. Yes, and then we then we proceeded to. Uh, beat bc's ass for four quarters yes we did and apparently the seats you got were like creme de la creme right like middle up 50 yard line about yeah we're about middle middle uh middle middle yeah that's awesome in east yeah and you're in east which means you if you were middle middle you were probably about what two sections from the student section which was pretty electric saturday night yeah 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 sweet Good times. It was real good times. It was loud on our side for sure. Awesome. Always is loud on East. You gotta be gotta be careful over in West. People will shush you for no apparent reason. All right, but let's get into it. The game itself, where Mister Siegler was at on Saturday night. It's great to be wrong sometime, ain't it, Sieg? I love being wrong when it uh, involves a hokey dub. Yes, Hokies you win get the dub. I'm okay being wrong. Hokies win twenty-seven to ten. And, you know, let, let's just start it straight out and let's talk about this defense, man, because this defense is kind of reminiscing of defenses we've seen throughout our lifetime. And I'm going to tell you, it started quick. Second play of the game, Armani Chapman absolutely set the tone with that interception. Yeah, out the gate, um, the roaring lane was spectacular. Like it, it, it felt like the old lane. Like right out the gate, all of a sudden, punch him right, the, right in the mouth. Get get a turnover. Get in scoring range, and then we were able to punch it in quickly. Take the lead, seven nothing. Already, they're kind of out of what they want to do. Absolutely, and that play was great. I mean, I, I couldn't understand. I, I I don't quite understand the leverage, but he essentially just rode his guy out of bounds, and Jerkovic. I don't know why he threw the ball. I mean, I don't know if it was a one read and he and he thought he was going to come back in or something. But when he threw it, it was almost like as soon as you saw the ball in the air, it was like that's a 
if, if Armani can catch it, that's a pick because he played it perfectly. Yeah, I mean, he threw it short and inside when Armani had already ran his man out of bounds. So not not a good throw. Whether it was a good decision or not, it wasn't a good throw. Absolutely. And that sort of set the whole tone for the defense the whole night. I mean, five sacks total on defense. The defensive line as a whole shows out. We saw Cole Nelson get on the board. C.J. McCray get on the board with sacks. But obviously, um, Garbutt flashed more than anyone. He was named the ACC Defensive Lineman of the Week. And then that picture, I don't know if you've seen it, with him carrying the lunch pail. And if you didn't know, if y'all go find this picture online, around the lunch pail is a dog collar. And I mean, I don't know whose idea this is. I hope that David Cunningham, Andy Bitter, somebody asked that question at tomorrow's or Thursday's press conference because I want to mention that that looks nasty. Yeah, I mean, the combination is pretty sweet. And, I mean, I like that the the defensive line is kind of getting in on their own kind of tradition here, right? Uh, I think that's going to be fun to see uh, and see who ends up with that – that dog collar going forward. Uh, but Garbett, big game. Uh, he, he was playing. He was all over the field. He, he did he did well against the run, um, but he, he did a great job pressuring Dracovic the entire night. Uh, Dracovic was in hell for, he for was. four quarters. Pure hell for four quarters. And what Garbett said after the game is he played like a dog that hasn't eaten for three days. And if you mess with a dog that hasn't eaten for three days, they will bite you. And he bit them all night long. He only got credited with one sack. It should have been two because of the one Djurkovic is running away from him and he falls down. The statistician took it away from him, which you wonder, like, what the hell? Like, the nearest man to that, they made it a rush instead of a sack, but whatever. He had three tackles for loss in that game as well. And, um, you know, a total – for uh, Talon Garbett. So all of his tackles were for loss. He had three tackles. But it was just the constant pressure all night. And he, he was had, like all in the backfield. Oh, yeah. McCray had, you know, tackles for loss. Um, Wilfred Panay with a half a sack. Pollard with half a sack. We saw Kendricks a couple times snap the ball and get up in there quick. The, the defensive line essentially played possessed. Yeah. Um, and, and they were going against, I think they really early on smelled blood in the water with that offensive line. Yes. Um, and once they saw that, they were like, all right, we're in attack mode. We're in attack mode. They can't they can't block us in the rush game. They're not going to be able to run the ball. Ten years back, go after Jakovic. Absolutely. And if that wasn't good enough, ten total tackles for loss. I mean, so not only the defensive line show up, the linebacking short, short – Core showed up as well with Dax and Jaden, both Jadens, Keller and McDonald, um, J.R. Walker. Everybody that touched the field had some sort of impact play, it seemed. And, you know, Brian, you, you went back and watched the game again. I felt like the tackling was better Saturday night because we caught more in the backfield. When you watched it not only live but then come back, did, did that reaffirm? that the tackling improved from week one to week two? Best tackling game I've seen in at least the last three years. Uh, Pittsburgh 2019? Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Last time you were in lane. Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, you know, maybe I should go to lane more often. 
Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe um, maybe that's that maybe that's the message maybe, I should maybe get. Maybe that's this. the key. But I think in general, we, we mentioned last week that it had already taken a significant step forward compared to the last two years. We were we, we, we were almost there. We, we left a few in the backfield last week, but still last week they were getting that two to three yards. I don't think Pat Garwo got maybe back to the line, maybe um, the line of scrimmage, because obviously, you know, when you get, <clears throat> and this isn't incorrect, folks, four total yards on 26 carries. I mean, that's pretty insane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that's as – that's as good as you could expect against any opponent, let alone a power five conference yeah. opponent. <laughs> With the running back who had went over a thousand yards. And I know their line is hurting, but you still see guys who get over a thousand usually can put up something, but I mean, absolutely nothing. I think he may have actually had, get it up here. He had 15 total yards. Yep. He had what? 12 carries 10 carries 10 1. carries 0.5 per carry um so yeah again it was just flying to the ball and and, and did, did the ooh go off with some of those open field tackles behind the line yeah. of scrimmage i mean you could you could hear it especially the the one uh Keonta brought uh brought down the running back yeah got, got a big one there um i think the one where mccray made the play uh out in the flat, got got a pretty big one. Absolutely. So those and the other thing, and he only had one tackle, but it was a big one. The screen pass where Jalen Stroman, it, it, again, it it was no hesitancy when Jalen Stroman came on that screen. He went straight to the ball. He didn't try to read it. It was just like he's got the ball. I'm going to go tackle him. Yeah, he made some good plays, um, and and we're seeing like them mix up things on nickel right we saw yes. a lot more Strobin. we saw a lot more dj harvey this week um obviously we saw more breon murray with some some uh you know coming in there to spell for dorian strong so it's, it was kind of a mix of everything in the secondary and we got got some additional reps in there and i think that kept everyone you know more fresh for the the later quarters there when we kind of needed that uh that extra oomph at the end well you know the crazy part is you talk about Strowman and you talk about some of the guys that played nickel so Harvey played nickel, Connor played nickel, Lawson played nickel, Jenkins played nickel, and actually J.R. Walker started the game at nickel. And it's that position flexibility, right, where, okay, we can take Keonta here, we'll bring Jamari down, we trust Jalen on the back, where you can start mixing things up. And, again, like you just mentioned, guys get to stay fresh. And that Sam linebacker spot stayed fresh all night. And, I mean, to the to the tune of – the BC offense, only four yards rushing, only 155 total yards offense. I mean, third of eight, three of 18 on third and fourth downs. And, I mean, right now, you know, you look on NCAA.com, Hokies are the best third down conversion percentage defense in the country at 13%. Yep. And when you look at it um... – you know, almost a third of their total yardage came on one plate as a flowers. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the only big catch he had all night. 
Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's pretty wild to think about that, but then you start digging into the data and I know we're a couple games in, so it'll be interesting to how this goes out, but I mean, the Hokies are a top 15 passion efficiency defense. I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's slowly getting there. And I think we expected, you know, Brent Pry to improve the defense significantly, I mean, you're talking about a team, a defense right now, and I know we're one and one, and losing that ODU game sucks. But you're talking about a top five total defense. You're talking about a top fifteen scoring defense. Yep. It's you know, and and we're talking about getting people down behind the line of scrimmage with the ten on Saturday night. You know, we've got twenty four total. We've got a lot, and we're another again top twenty. Team tackles for loss. And as much as it was holding Zay Flowers big, I, I thought, if anything, Takis, once I saw how quick we were getting, I thought Takis would get some catches. Yeah, they, they really didn't have – I don't know if it was just because they were playing from behind, but you know we did a good job of taking him away as well. He wasn't uh, that kind of reliable check down. Uh, he wasn't the, the guy that was kind of helping them move the sticks. They weren't able to get him the ball consistently. He had one catch. Um, so I mean, we not only shut down flowers, but we kept them from being able to go to any outlets as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Zay flowers, 79 yards. And the, the big one was 50. So he had 20, 29 on three other catches. So they did the job on him and, and don't get me wrong. The, the move he put on Dorian was nasty, Yeah, but we, it was, again, it was, it was a good double move. It was, it was really a great double move. move, but guess what? You know, that's when you kind of sit there and say, well, those underthrown balls suck. But in that situation, when you're putting that pressure on and he has to come back to it, instead of being a 70-yard gain or a touchdown, he had to come back to it by that time. Dorian and the Sear Peoples got down there, leveraged him, tackled him. Yeah, yes. Peoples probably had an angle on him, but he could have, if he would have caught that in stride, he probably could have, you know, could have made a move on, uh, on Peoples there. So... Um, him having to kind of regroup and collect it, uh, both of them were able to kind of wrangle him down there, which is good. Absolutely. So defense playing lights out. It's going to be fun to see this group as again as guys start to mature more, as guys get more comfortable in the system. Right? They've already they've already kind of. It doesn't take much, right? You go out there and you start hitting the quarterback, picking balls off, forcing fumbles. Buying happens quick. Yep. So, and it seems like, you know, Pry's definitely calling the defense, which, you know, for Marv, if, if Pry is sitting there kind of understanding what the game plan is, it's getting – Marv is getting the chance to work with his linebacker core. And, again, maybe that's the reason we saw such a good step is I'm working with the linebacker core, I'm focusing on fundamentals, and we're going to – we're going to see the improvement quick. Yeah, and I mean, we've seen – I mean – we thought that the linebacking core was definitely the most veteran in terms of uh-huh. experience. Um, but we've seen such a ratchet up in play so far that, I mean, it, it's hard not to be a little impressed. And I know it's early. I know we played a team that is a G5. We played a team that has probably one of the worst offensive lines in the ACC right now, at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily think that the players on that line are not talented. I think, they're just not ready to play the amount of snaps they're playing yeah. at this point in their careers. 
Exactly. They got, they got, they got too much youth uh, at too many positions. Yep, and the big part was the best offensive lineman, you know, that they had did get called, you know, basically game day couldn't play. And like you said, they the, the, the defense smelled the blood in the water. But like you also say is against the quality of competition that the defense is essentially dominated. Yep. Dominated. And that's what you want. If it's a lower team, you want to dominate them. Again, they gave, we, they've given up two big plays all season. Two big plays. If they keep progressing, if they keep progressing, it's going to be interesting, especially what goes on roughly 10 days from now. That's kind of going to be the, the two games right there are going to be those landmark of how good this defense is when they face the West Virginia offense and when they face the UNC offense. So let's 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 just keep that in mind as we get into next week. Yep. All right, let's let's flip it over to the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, not not all world offense under 300 total yards, 284 total. Um, and let's let's go talk about Grant Wells. You know, you know, people were screaming we should go ahead and throw in Brown, throw in other players, but he comes out and has himself a solid but an unspectacular game, which in this case is what we needed, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, there was really no need to, um, you know, take a ton of risk as as we got that big lead early. He did a good job taking care of the football, which is what he didn't do well against ODU. Um, you know, when we were looking at the uh, the stat line, I mean, obviously zero interception stands out, but the thing that stood out more to me um, was looking at the bad balls that were thrown last week compared to you know what they were done what what we saw this week. There were some bad thrown balls, but there weren't any bad decision balls. Um, you know, we saw those risky misses become <laughs> safe misses, uh, and that's what I mean. That's what you want. I mean, you want some calculated risk from time to time, but you want to make sure that when you're taking those risks, you're taking those risks where it's safe to play, right? Um, like the Caleb Smith throw, yeah, deep shot downfield, and let's talk about that pass because that pass is going to be the ACC catch of the week. The where he put that ball, Bracklin won't bullshit. <laughs> Grant Wells has a hell of an accurate deep ball. Yeah, where he dropped he put, it right. He dropped it right in the bucket, man. Right there. <laughs> right. And the bad part is. Caleb, like literally, Caleb's face mask is getting pulled. Amazingly, Caleb made the catch, which was unbelievable. Yeah, how we um, didn't get a flag on that. I mean, I'm glad it came down as a catch anyway, regardless. But exactly. how there wasn't a flag on that is is beyond me. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that was a hell of a throw. And if we can get a couple more of those a game, then then we're cooking. Then, then we're on to something. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when, when we look at – and what he's doing, much better game. I'll take an efficient game over a 300-yard game with three or four turnovers. A- absolutely. And, and now, because of how this game played out, it's we're gonna we, we've got to mention it. what's his leash now? Because we look at the we look at his completion percentage. He's right at 61 percent for what we're probably asking to do. I, that, you say that's probably about where he should be, about where we need it. Yeah, I mean, you'd like to see it right around that 65. So he's he's hovering in that ballpark. Obviously, it's small sample size so far. Um, 
so you know the bad game is disproportionately helping uh yeah those numbers right now um when i look at what he does in other aspects though i think he needs to be more decisive uh when a when a run is called or, or when called on to run um thinking about when he scrambles being a little more decisive earlier in the drop back uh when it's the call run being a little bit more decisive with you know, where he's finding the hole, where he wants to go and not, um, not thinking as much, um, when, when it comes to those, uh, those scrambles and those design runs, I, I feel like that's holding him back a little bit. He had a couple good runs though for us. Um, you know, he had one on that first drive where, you know, both guys ended up running to the flat, got out of the pocket, um, got about four or five yards. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, a couple other good runs, one for a first down uh, on a third and long. So, you know, he had he had some good runs, um, but I'd like to see a little bit more decisiveness there. Well, and, I, I mean, I think the big thing is is that if he can continue to show that he's not going to hurt the offense, you keep rolling with him, you know, until, you know, rough. Yeah, absolutely. Um. The other thing you kind of look at just the data points is he's averaging a little over four yards a run. And I, I think for who he is, that's where we need him at. He's got he's averaging about 35 a game. Um, I would like to see him a lot more decisive. Like one of the plays, there was a player coming, he's going to the sideline, and and this is a third down play. My buddy uh few kids me up and said, why didn't he just turn into that versus going out? And I couldn't explain because he was close enough if he turned it in. And then about two series later is when he ran that draw and goes into like two BC defenders. He, he literally, I think he knocked somebody out of the game with it. But you, um, you know, it was, um, what am I looking for here? It was like trying to prove a point to when he went out on the sideline last time that he was essentially he was trying to back himself up and say, I'm not afraid to make contact with you. Yeah. I mean, I, I like that, that aspect. I, I like that we're, you know, he, being more assertive. Um, so, you know, we'll see if uh, how we proceed with the quarterback situation, especially with, you know, what we have coming up this week, I mean, we're going to talk about it a little bit. Uh, absolutely, yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see how we handle the Wofford game. Let's talk about a little bit more on the offensive side of the ball, the pass catching. Brian, if I told you we won by 17 points, but Gallo had one catch and it did not come until in the second half, would you believe me last Tuesday? No, nah, not at all. <laughs> not at all. I, I, would, I would not have believed you, um, especially after what we saw with – ODU and how heavily targeted he was in that game. Um, but we had some other guys step up, right? We had uh, Caleb in particular. Um, one, you know, one big catch down the field, had the touchdown. Connor Blumberg had a, had a bunch of good plays. Um, Gosnell had, had a couple good stick-moving routes. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we, we saw some, some signs of life from the wide receiver room a little bit more this week. Um, but we also had, you know, a couple guys take a little step back, right? Um, you know, Lofton, um, two catches for negative one. Um, and what I hated, oh God, I hated, I, it, it shades of that pop pass into the boundary. 
was just – to me, I, I hate those plays because I think it was like on a second and five, and it was just like, no, not – this is – it. you know, second and one, yeah, sure. Second and five, it put us nail behind the chains, third and seven. I, I, I just hate going any kind of sweep into the boundary. I just – I get that, but if you looked at the play, if King gets that block, he probably at least gets two to three yards, if not the first down. Okay. So, okay. You know, you kind of you got to take the bad with the good. Sometimes you got to execute, uh, and that's one. If you execute, you at least get a positive play. Okay. Um, whether whether that's still a good play in your mind is kind of up to you, but um, <laughs> you know, there are often times where a jet sweep was a good play, but you fucking hated to see it. <laughs> Well, you hated to see it when it was like at the most. To me, it's always down in distance for those plays. Because if they aren't blocked correctly, you said it before. If those plays aren't blocked correctly, you can lose a, a lot of yards. You can put yourself from a good position to a bad position. Again, second and one, you lose three hits. Third and four, we can live another day. So it's really interesting. But you mentioned it earlier. Caleb obviously is the best receiver on the team. It, and him going down against ODU definitely hurt the game plan. But seeing Blumrick and Gosnell, Blumrick had five catches for uh, 46 yards. He had a couple wildcat things. Um, I actually, I think he, because of one of them was blown up completely, he actually ended with negative yards there. But it shows you need to be on the field. Gosnell with the stick movers. But now it's like, okay, we saw Gallo and Drake be a successful combo game. One, actually a trio, Gallo, Drake, Dwayne, right? Along yep. with Caleb. The second game, we see Blumrick, and we see um, Gosnell kind of step in. So it's kind of feeling like that room's getting a little bit better overall. Um, yeah. Now, Brian, we know what, we're gonna we know we're gonna need Caleb to be a consistent contributor. He's got to. Caleb's got to get fifty if yards. If we can get year. to the point where we we can mix and match behind him, that's only the better for us because it means they can't just key on Gallo. They can't just key on Drake. They can't just key on Lofton. They've got to cover the whole field. Yeah, they've got to cover the whole field. You can get four or five guys that can do something, then that at least you know gives you an opportunity to really use the whole field to your advantage um, because they're not just going to be able to key on you know one or two guys. All right. Let me ask this, Brian. You mentioned to me that we had our most success with our intermediate stuff, that roughly 5 to 15 range. Why was that? What were they doing um, – that sort of made that intermediate range where Grant, you know, he was 64%. He was essentially, I think the data was 14, 16 of 25. Why, what were they doing that forced us to play that intermediate route versus running screens? And obviously we took the one shot, but I think that was more of where the game was. Uh, it's kind of, kind of threefold here. So number one, um, we had to step up in competition. They were a little bit tighter on our routes and those, those, those quick hitters. Um, okay. they were keying on that. They watched the ODU tape. Um, so we weren't getting a ton of separation. Uh, but two, when we saw that, I like that Bowen kind of, he's realized that we don't necessarily have guys that can consistently get separation just on their own. He's, he's, he's using the scheme to get guys open. And that's where a lot of those mm-hmm. intermediate routes are, are, are really heavy in terms of the scheme. Um, so th- that's why you're seeing success there. 
Got it. All right, that makes sense. It'll be really interesting what we do this week against Wofford, um, and then obviously the West Virginia game coming up. Let's talk about a couple more things, um, wrap up sort of and close the book. Run game, 144 yards total. Um, the biggest not bad. game. I, no, I, no, I wanted 200. Bad. I wanted 200, but not bad. We'll, we'll take it. Um, obviously, with some of the stuff we're going to talk about in a minute with the offensive line, I think maybe we could have gotten 200. But let's talk about the one big one. When you saw that Keyshawn King run and you saw it develop, because where it was, that was right at 30. So you had that perfect view from the West stands down onto it right here. So I'm sure you saw everybody moving. But when you saw that pin and pull and him just go, how did it make you feel? Uh, it was glorious. Uh, that, that was the best blocked play they had in the entire night. Um, exactly how you draw it up. Uh, you know, what I liked, we saw um, Clements yeah. kind of get out there, get the kick on the outside backer. We saw J.J. Rapp get a good block on the on the inside linebacker. Um, but what impressed me most was, was Jaden Blue on this play because he had a read where he was kind of trying to get an angle on the corner to get a block. He saw the corner, ran himself out of the play, immediately went upfield, got to the safety, got a block. King set it up for him, got to the edge, touchdown Hokies. Yeah, they weren't going to catch Keyshawn King once he got in that open field. And it was – and I'm sure that place was rocking because it's, you know, long touchdown runs have been few and far between, especially last year. So, you know, now unfortunately, Keyshawn King got banged. I think everybody's saying, like, if they would have needed him in the second half, he could have came in. This is one of those management issues. Like, if we need you, we're going to put you in, stay on the bike, stay loose. Um and after he goes out, you know, Dalen Holston got most of the run after that. Um, you know, he ended it with 25 carries. I mean, we were running the ball a lot, but I did not realize Jalen got 25 carries, only for 60 yards. Um, we're hearing more and more about Malachi Thomas, that he's he's close. He's close. He's, close. he's the yeah, fastest he was, he, was, he was practicing last week. Oh. He wasn't doing contact, but he was practicing. Um, but but he's needed back. And again, we, we, we've said it a couple times and we're not trying to drag, but Malachi Thomas and Keyshawn King give you that one two punch of dynamic runners. Thomas coming back too, it also gives you that opportunity to put him and King on the field at the same time and give you even more looks. Um Yeah, because we saw we saw King get split out a couple times, like I said on the you know, the missed block, but you know. We'll yeah. ignore that, but King King has the ability out there on the edge, um, whereas you can – you know, Malachi probably is more of a backfield-specific type running back. So um, if you can get both of those guys on the field at the same time, you know, from time to time, I think that's going to be a good thing. Uh, and we saw what, you know, what we wanted to see this week from the, from the running game overall. We, we had a big play. Um, you know, we got some consistent yards. They weren't – we weren't getting chunks, but but we were yeah. we were we were getting some some things here and there. The the problem was we had a little bit of trouble on first down, uh, where where we got a little predictable. I think in the calls on first down, um, and we weren't overwhelming them in the middle of that uh, that defense um, like I thought we could to get to still get some positive yards even if they are keying on it. All right. By the way, I'm gonna take this back. Uh, Holtz only had twenty carries. 
20 ah. carries for 48 yards. I was uh, had the wrong data point up there. All right, well, let's talk about it. Obviously, the offensive line did some good stuff this week. What's your grade uh, overall and then run game, pass game? Uh, we're going with a C this week overall. Okay. Um, I like the, the, the run game is a borderline C plus for me. Um, but I think that those first down calls that I'm talking about there, are what kind of held them back from kind of taking a C plus B minus range overall, okay. uh, you, you can't on first down, get, get your shit pressed in consistently like that. <laughs> Even if they know it's coming at some point, you got to have some pride and start getting some positive yards more consistently on that down. Um, so that, that's a knock. Um, but pass pro, it was better at times. Um, and, and I'll, and I'll say, I'll qualify it this way when they were sending four or they were just blitzing one, we did a good job when we, when we, when we saw it, when we had, it was pretty clear who had who pre-snap, we did a good job, much better than last week. All right. Good deal. Good deal. When they were bringing five or more, we struggled. All right. All and, right. And I know, and I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later. So teaser, Brian's got a few things that he feels on why we're struggling with that. Is anybody in the doghouse this week? Um, the whole line because of the reason that we're talking about now. <laughs> there we because go. if that doesn't improve when we get to other teams that consistently bring that type of type of pressure it, we're gonna have some problems got it so we will hit that in just a little while here let's split let's 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 wrap this up special teams obviously a much better day clean snaps um will ross is now three for three for the year including the 49 yarder that would have been good like from 58 and something if y'all haven't noticed and i'm not giving what i hope on first guy when he kicks the ball they're down main street yep Every time. Every time he kicks a field goal, he is putting it right down the middle. Ah, <laughs> uh, you're never gonna live that down ever, dude. Call me call me out. I'm I'm good for it. Yeah, yeah, you are in the bird. Um <laughs> Peter Moore boomed some boom absolutely boomed one, got a good bouncer. Seeming like he fades at the end. I don't know if that's technique or just, you know, just the air of the game so it'll be interesting to see that but i think the one piece i want to talk about really talk about with you about the difference in coaching philosophies dj harvey made an error his first one of the year in special teams essentially we were up and he tried to make a play yep good evening robbie hambone compton in wilkesboro he's got connection he must be at the field house tonight He's got to um, be. <laughs> he makes the air because he was trying to make a play. But he didn't lose his job. He didn't get benched. And he shouldn't have. You mean you got a young guy and you, instead of putting him in the doghouse, you coach him up and you, you get him back out there to do it again? And he did it, right? That's a novel fucking <laughs> thought right there, right? And, and the next time that was a punt, he went up. He got it. There was some people coming down. Maybe he could have made a play. Maybe he didn't, but right. Yeah. But you live, you learn. I mean, it's one of those things. If you're out there making consistent errors and not trying to correct it, yes, put that person in the doghouse. If they make one mistake because they're out there trying to make a play. No, 
can't do that. Coach them up and get them out there and do it again. So it was it was glorious to see him go back out there. But special teams cleaned it up, and um, obviously penalties cleaned up. Twenty five penalties, and are we perfect, Brian? No, we're not perfect at all. But let no. me ask this. In your view, did we see the coaches and the players clean things up in one – I should say this. The amount that we saw cleaned up, did it shock you? Um, We cleaned up more than I thought we would week to week. I mean, I know we talked about it when we were on here. You know, I said BC made a lot of mistakes week one. We made a ton of mistakes. Uh, We we definitely had the further um, ground to cover in in terms of getting to a, a clean slate. And we, we definitely covered a lot more than they did and, and, and made up that ground and then some. Um, you know, again, we're not perfect. Uh, there's still a bunch of things to clean up. Uh, we got tight ends that are still missing blocks. We've got <laughs> we got wide receivers that are still missing blocks. We got wide receivers that are still not able to get open without some, some scheme help. Um, you know, we got things here and there on special teams that we need to clean up. There's there's stuff all over the field that we need to clean up, but the progress from week one to week two was really impressive. So uh, if we can keep making those strides and this isn't kind of one of those, you know, two steps forward, one step back type deals, then I think we're working with something. Absolutely. So again, let's, uh, let's close the book. BC... We take the win. Hokies are now one and one, one and zero oh in ACC play. As I joked with Brian before we got on here, we control our destiny to make it to. Sh- yep. <laughs> shout out, shout out to Truett with the, with the eleven and one in the bio. So there you yeah. go. There you go. <laughs> All right, Brian. Let's um, let let's go. Hokies news notes, other college football notes. Um, I don't know if you got in the stadium early enough. Um, but. The line of recruits, that picture, I cannot remember who put it out there. And if anybody knows, please comment so we can give them proper shout-out. Whoever got that picture of the recruits lined up literally from the 50-yard line all the way back to the tunnel. Yep. We knew there was a lot. We knew there were a lot of recruits on campus. I'm sure you being – you you were around – I know you were around lot ones and two, which is near Merriman, not far from Merriman. I'm sure you saw some. That's impressive. I don't care who you are. Yeah, um, you know, when you got 60 yards worth of recruits on campus for one game and then you show out like that, not only was Lane great, Lane, you know, Lane is Lane is usually great on a night game. That's yes, kind of a is. given. It, it, it was as advertised. Yes, um, it was. Saturday night. And then you go out there and you put a, a performance like that, especially a defensive performance where that's what you've hung your hat on historically as well. That's big. That's big for the program. It's only going to help you in terms of uh, moving forward with the recruiting, not just for this cycle, but for 2024 and 2025 in particular, because a lot of those kids were on campus too. Yeah. And again, it's the piece that you talked about. It's having them there. It's great. You got them there, the the, the atmosphere, but then the stadium was full. The opening shots of the stadium, there was not a, there was not a gap. I think the only little gap you could see was up at the Boston college section but sometimes they aren't given back in time where you can sell them because technically it was a sellout because what is it? The allotment is if the allotment tickets aren't sold, you can still consider it a sellout. But I saw South South had people in it still in the fourth quarter, which is just impressive. So it's love seeing that. All right. Now 
when you got you were obviously all over tailgate scene of these three upsets, which one made you smile the most? App State over <laughs> A&M, Marshall over Notre Dame, or Georgia Southern over Nebraska? All right. Laugh or smile? Um, <laughs> what made you laugh? The one that made me laugh was Nebraska losing to Georgia Southern. Because I was like, all right, so he's gone. <laughs> and he was. He got $7.5 million, be damned for three weeks. Yeah, I, we can't wait three weeks to save half the money. We're going to go ahead and get rid of him now. Um, the Which one that made smile. me smile, the one that made me smile was uh, was App State over A&M. Um, yes. <laughs> but, I mean, uh-huh. and, and that, let, let's not, let's not, you know, I, I've got a little soft spot in my heart for App State anyway. So, um, just absolutely cool campus. Uh, we used to practice there anytime we went down to Sewanee. Uh, to to play them, um, so th- they were always good to us um, on those on those road trips. So got a got a soft spot in my heart for App State, and then you got A and M, which is you know I, I've I've said it on here before. I say it all the time. They're the UNC of the SEC. Yes, they, they are. They got talent all over the field, and they end up shit the bed four to five times a year, and they they did it again. Um, and, and this, it could be a case of just not starting the right quarterback. You got Max Johnson sitting there. Um, yeah, on they the start change King. Yeah, and yeah, I don't know if I don't know if a quarterback change is going to be good enough for them. Um, but then the, you get the loss, and then you get the yell stuff All starting stuff. to hit the timeline. Oh and that was God. in the timeline as early as Saturday, and it's just it's kept going and kept going. So yeah, that one made me smile, but then later it made me laugh. It made you laugh. Yeah, that one just made me do a little bit of everything because the amount of money they spent on NIL, the amount of five-star recruit they've essentially bought. The amount um, of money they paid App State to come there and lay that whooping on them. $1.75 million. The, the almost $100 million they paid Jimbo, because, no, it was $100 because they bought out his Florida State contract. Yeah. And they're getting nothing in return. And it, and it, and it just makes you understand that even in the highest level of football, there can be the teams with a lot of talent that can't do shit with it. And it kind of makes you happy. I mean, if you wanted to win eight or nine games and get maybe one big victory a year, you should have just kept someone. Yes, they could have done that, but they did exact same records, same time through. All right, real quick before we um, head off to break here, the ACC hoop schedule was released. Um, obviously, a lot of good games, both Carolina and Duke at home, only Duke on the road. They quarter screwed the Hokies out the gate, though, um, with the UNC game, because if you look on your calendar, Brian, pull up that calendar on your computer and go down to December, December 4th is a Sunday. And my anticipation is if it's Sunday, they're probably going to put it on between 6 and 7 as to not interfere with uh, football or try to catch the back half of football. So that sucks. Um, but you know, I, I like the flow of the schedule cause you get UNC out the gate, then BC and wake and Clemson, then state. So it's not like there's a murderer's row section, in my opinion, anywhere in the, uh, schedule where it's like, you're going to play Carolina, Duke state, Louisville, Florida state, back to back to back. 
Yeah, there's like a one tough stretch where they open and close a month with UVA, but that's really the uh, that's probably the meat of the schedule. Yep, yep. But overall, I think it, it, the schedule's fine. It'll be interesting to see how this team plays out again. I I, I just don't want to start like last year. We've we've got to get over that this year. Because yeah, if we if we can be solid, uh, especially in conference play, I mean, we 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 didn't start the season awful. Um, I think overall, we had a couple losses that we we wanted to have back. Uh, but as soon as we got into conference play and just dropped so many out the gate, you know, you, you had to really fight to even you know secure your spot there. Uh, and and, it, and we probably wouldn't have had it if we hadn't went down to uh, went went up to um, New York and won the whole fucking thing. So. Exactly. Exactly. It's, uh, <laughs> it, it's pretty wild. You don't want to put yourself in that situation again. So you got to, I think, jump jump on that January schedule. It'd be a lot better in January than you were last year, mm-hmm. and be close to as good as you were in February. Um, because you, yeah, you that's wanna, gonna be tough. <laughs> it's gonna be tough. That's gonna, gonna be tough because we were in February. The thing is, be better in January so you don't have to be almost perfect. In February. Well, you don't have to be perfect in February, but you, 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 you can. You need to be close to consistent you need to be as as consistent yeah. as you want to be there um because i think we've got probably a deeper roster top to bottom than we had last year yep uh, i think there's more guys that were on the roster last year that are ready to be key contributors this year out the gate um and then you got you know guys coming in that uh, have played big roles on other teams, and I think they're ready to, to to kind of slide in. So if you can get acclimated in those early months of the season before you you know get into uh, conference play in early December, I think that's going to be be what needs to happen to, to get the thing rolling. Absolutely. All right, Brian. So before we get into some of our main topics tonight, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free-website back to the episode. We're going to do this a little different because we're not only going to do Know the Enemy, we're going to do a Know Thyself. We're a couple games in. We can talk about a few things. But with Walford being an FCS opponent, not a lot of data on there. They are not a good team at all. Um, They're 0-2. They haven't scored a point. And, Brian, I know you you did a little reading earlier today and uh, found some interesting stuff out on them. Um, Shout out Treadmill Horse out there who did a little interview with uh, – Joe, Joe James, Walker yeah. fans. Yeah. Um, but I'll let you go on that because you were, I skimmed over before I went to baseball practice. So I'll let you go on that, man. Yeah. So again, big shout out to Treadmill Horse, treadmillhorse.com. They're, the interviews up there with Joe James from wofordfans.com. Um, I guess that's their, that's the big blog. He's been running it for, for years. Um, I think, I think Joe actually lives, uh, if I want to, if I remember correctly, in Northern Virginia now. So um, he's, he's in the area, but, uh, big Wofford fan uh, goes way back, um, and the head coach for uh, Wofford is is Coach Conklin, and he's on the hot seat, and he might not make it through the year. 
Um, and I didn't think we were going to be, be talking Justin Fuente in this uh, preview, but somehow we are because they're kind of looking at an FCS equivalent of, of the Fuente regime down there at Wofford right now. Uh, I'm going to read a quote from from the interview that was on there, and you know we'll, we'll talk about that a little more here in a second. All right, so this is the quote. A big elephant in the room is that basically every fan at Wofford wants Josh Conklin fired. He tried to leave our program twice before we went downhill, once as a defensive coordinator position in Tennessee and once as a head coach of South Carolina, and we've been awful ever since. From our perspective, he came in, rode the coattails of Ayer's success, that's the former head coach, uh, saw us as a stepping stone to greener pastures, failed, and is in over his head. It's wild he hasn't been fired yet, in my opinion. <laughs> so the biggest difference, well, I guess the Baylor flirtation you put on there. Um, at least well, this guy- the Baylor, the Baylor flirtation. Uh, Ayers essentially is is Bud Foster in this situation, where he stays around for a couple years, he modifies his offense a little bit, and then he retires. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there's a lot of parallels here. That are just that they were too interesting not to note, um, and uh, aside from the fact, I think a lot of the fan base wanted him fired at the end of last year when they went one and eleven, um, and now they're you know starting the year zero and two when they have not scored a point yet. That is the really really bad piece because they have not scored a point yet. I mean. I mean, they played two decent teams in UT Chattanooga and Elon. Don't get me wrong. Um, Chattanooga are, in particular. Chattanooga Chattanooga's particular. ranked. Elon has, I think, made the tournament for a few years. But, I mean, I think I read part of that article. Wofford had been to the playoffs numerous times under Ayers in the past few decades. Like, a very good, a very solid football program down there. So, it's like that. I mean, that's the correlation where – you take a, a team that is used to a lot of success, have some success, and then try to move to greener pastures. Um, yep. Conklin had been the D.C. down at Pitt. He was a safety coach out at Tennessee. And I kind of laugh when I hear, well, I'm going to go be the head coach of South Carolina when they fired Will Muschamp. And it's like, home slice, no, you ain't got you're, – you're coaching <laughs> Wofford. I'm not trying to be crappy to Wofford. You're coaching Wofford. Now, maybe def- – Defensive coordinator to Tennessee, maybe, but again, you're at Walford. There's a reason you're there. Usually if you're there and you have some success, you would bump up potentially to a G5. You didn't. So, I mean, it's it's fascinating. I'd, I'd love to um, um, put up the message right there from Robbie. So this is our coach. This is our buddy, Coach Robbie Compton, um, and one of their main supporters is a Walford alumni and then don't like the guy so clearly it's reciprocated that he is <laughs> not well liked to been so often this this is not just joe james uh you know raging, talking out of raging <laughs> all right so the question is let's talk about this team now and let's wonder can we hang enough points on this team to potentially where <laughs> they just leave him in black <laughs> I mean, so I don't know if that's the case because, I mean, they're expecting to get pummeled regardless. Um, I think that, that's so the expectation. Bad, that's the expectation. So um, when, when you play a bye game like this, you kind of expect to get pummeled. 
Um, But, I mean, that offense has been abysmal through two weeks against FCS competition, right? Um, They've got an inability to really effectively put together drives and to score points. Um, They are still breaking in their new OC. Um, So let's break that down. Let's let's break that down a little bit. So they had an OC. I'm looking at the notes here and – I'm I'm wondering why are you even trying to do this at the FCS level? <laughs> so they had they had an OC under Ayers that was running the triple option. The Makes first sense, year FCS. under Conklin, they ran the triple option. Conklin wanted to move them away from the triple option, so their old coordinators started running more of it. He kind of modified the offense. It was more of a quasi West Coast spread RPO. That, that was kind of getting put into place there. Uh, and the 21 season when they played in uh, the, in the spring, it, it went pretty well. Um, and then he stepped down and then it was a clown show last year. And then it's been a clown show so far this year. Uh, and they got a new OC this year after um, Conklin uh, promoted two of his boys um, to take over the old OC's role for the start of the, the 2021 fall season last year. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a basically a comedy of errors, but so yeah, now they're more of a spread RPO type of attack versus a triple option. Uh, the offensive line struggles heavily as you might expect from an offensive line that not only, you know, is FCS, but was recruited to run a triple option. Um, <laughs> And they consistently shoot themselves in the foot on offense uh, between fumbles, interceptions, missed assignments, and things like that. So they, they are just not a good offense to watch. Yeah, I, I, and, and luckily, Brian got actually to see. He was afraid he wasn't going to be able to get any tape from this year. But luckily, the Elon game was on ESPN Plus over the weekend. So you actually got to see the tape. Um, looking through it, I was just stat diving, and I mean – the, the stats are ugly. I mean, it's ugly, ugly. And when I say ugly, ugly on offense, y'all, I mean to a point where um, they are averaging basically they have 166 um, total yards gained rushing the ball. They have 192 passing. They are averaging 175 yards a game. Yeah, and I mean, you can make an argument that their running game is their strength right now. Yeah, I mean, the fullback (laughs) Walker, I mean, but that poor guy's only got 80 yards for the year. So, actually, go back and think about that. One guy's accounted for a quarter of their offense. Yeah. One guy. And and, and he's put the ball on the ground three times. So, yeah, (laughs) it's not exactly great here on the offensive side of the ball. But defensively, and I go they're playing FCS, it's not much better, is it, Brian? Uh, it's not great, um, especially for FCS. I mean, they're giving up about 29 points a game. Uh, you know, we said they're kind of playing that upper-mid-level FCS competition right now. They play Chattanooga, who's ranked solid, solid team, not, not upper-tier, though. And, yeah. you know, Elon's kind of the upper end of that middle-of-the-road pack there. Um, they run a base 3-4. Um, which is, I mean, they've ran, ran that for a long time. That, that even goes back to Ayers. So that's one thing that Conklin hasn't changed. <laughs> um, all they, they, they are a little more multiple, but they, they are a, a three, four base. Um, 
they are better on defense than on offense, like we've talked about, but they still struggle in the trenches, as you would expect from an FCS team. Um, they defend the pass better than the run, um, and they but they can be influenced with the play action and misdirection in the pass game. So I think that's something that we can take advantage of, run a lot of what we saw at ODU. Um, I think we can we can get them kind of confused with uh, with the flow, and and come back to the tight end on the other side, come back to the um, you know, dig or cross or something like that, that, that kind of gets them away from where the, where the flow of the play is going. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, this is a game that we should dominate on both sides of the ball and on special teams. Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're just not a good team whatsoever. Um, and obviously going through a ton of, ton of turmoil, I'm sure down in a small community like Wofford, those players are hearing it. So it's going to be interesting to see the outcome of this game. Now, I'll tell you the most, the most like cringe thing though. What's the I most cringe? He, I guess the coach does like his like weekly, um, his, his weekly interview. And okay. Like, I can see the guy that's interviewing him is trying so hard not to completely crush this guy's hopes and dreams and keep it as positive as possible. And it, it, it's, it, it's, it hurts me so much. <laughs> How? It's like you haven't scored a point. You're giving up almost 30 a game. Yeah. It's one of those, like, he's just grasping. All right. How can I ask this question in the most positive way possible, considering that we're Owen two and have not scored a point yet? Not scored a point. Now we have to go to a power five opponent's home field. Now, lucky for them, it's an eleven o'clock game, not even three uh, thirty. So, which yeah, those those kids are going to get home in time to rage. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. All right, Brian. So little. So there's your little background um, on Wofford. Uh, but let's let's flip what this week is really about. We've seen us through two games. We've already talked about some improvement. Let's know that self. And Brian, as we always mention, this is an offensive lineman podcast. Let's start there. What is the biggest thing that we have to do this weekend on the Hokies offensive line versus Wofford? For both our short and long-term success on the offensive line, we need to get Xavier Chaplin and Braylon Moore some significant snaps against this competition. What about Hollyfield? I'd throw Hollyfield in there as well. Um, okay. <laughs> but I'd prefer – we got to get Chaplin and Moore. Um, you say Hollyfield because that way if if you if your center does go down, you got someone else that's taking live snaps. Yeah. That's really it. Um, but I think in terms of long-term, Chaplin and Moore are probably more important because I feel like they can help us potentially this year. Whereas Hollyfield is truly, unless something happens to Johnny, is a next year situation. Okay. Um, what about push? You you looked at this offensive line or this defensive line of Walford. You said they're not good in the trenches. Is this the game where if you don't see push, do you get a little worried? Yeah. If, if I don't see them reestablish the line of scrimmage, um, out the gate, then that's going to be problematic for me. Um, we got to be better on first down runs. Like I said, sometimes you just got to sack up and, and get some yards, even when they're selling out for it. And I know they're selling out for it right now because we haven't been as consistent in the passing game as we want yeah. to be. But 
when and we have been somewhat predictable on first down. Um, but you still got to be able to get two yards every time you line up and run the ball, regardless of whether it's predictable. And especially against this opponent, right? So well, if especially we're not against doing this that. But you mentioned something to me. We we didn't hit it on the BC because I kind of wanted to hit it here. You noticed that some of those not ugly runs where we only got two or three yards that they were actually blocked correctly, right? And just yep. people were missing the lanes. I know I I pulled up one somebody put out there. Can't remember who. If I could remember who, I'd let you know. But somebody put up one. It was a Jalen Holston run, and everybody's like, "Oh, terrible blocked." And you look, you slow it down, and literally. There's the lane. The lane is to the right. Yes, there's a linebacker in that hole, but isn't the job right there is you go to that hole, your job is to try to get by him, run over him. But if nothing else, there's five yards. If he tackles you on spot, you're going to fall forward, you're going to pick up seven versus getting three or four. Yep. And I'll say this, Holston's biggest strength is how hard he runs. Holston's biggest weakness is, is his visibility. He, he, he does not have the best visibility in terms of picking the right lane. Um, that's something he struggled with his, his entire career here. It hasn't gotten better, but he runs hard. And it, when he, when he picks his lane, he, he gets as much as he can get wherever it is, even if it's, it's not true. the right one. Yeah, on that um, play, he got like four yards because he just barreled and ran as hard as he could. But when I sell that lane, it's like, if you make that cut, that linebacker is going to have to meet you in the hole. Yeah. And he has to tackle you. He has to bring you down. So it's yeah. interesting. All right. We mentioned this was the teaser from earlier. You mentioned Pass Pro had gotten significantly better against BC. You grade us as up. They went from a D and now they're into the C categories. You said they're good with the straight up four man rush. That's not the issue. But you started talking about even five they could handle. But if they started bringing more pressure, um, that's when the issues came in. Give me, give me what your hypothesis is on this. Yeah. I mean, it comes down to communication. It looks like they are not, whether, whether it's Wells not getting the right checks or checking into the, the, to the right um, audibles for, for checkdowns. Uh, but I think it's more just the communication on the blitz across the board, because anytime there was like a five man pressure, six man pressure, um, they, they were struggling. Um, if they didn't see where the blitz was coming from, had that guy identified in, in advance of the snap, uh, there were some communication problems about who was going to gonna take who. Uh, a lot of times you had a guard or a tackle block no one because the communication wasn't there. Um, so you got, a, you got a free rusher. We had several where, you know, we had five linemen and a running back in there to block, so we had six accounting for six, but we had two come free. You, you, that that can't happen. You've got to be able to communicate who's taking who, understand if there's any sort of twist or stunt, who's passing to who. That's got that's got to be established pre-snap, and and that communication and that feel is just not there yet. And I don't know whether it is not being communicated at the line or whether just we haven't repped enough and have the feel for those type of heavy pressures yet, where we're comfortable with passing guys off. Uh, or making those um, adjustments after the ball is snapped and we kind of see what they're actually bringing. All right, so obviously there – and, I mean, is it, a, is it a week like this where that is something Rudolph can really coach knowing 
this is a lesser team. If there's anything you're trying to implement with that communication or offensive coordinator talking about making the right checks, is this a week to really let's bring this to the front before we get into this stretch of games where we're playing nothing but essentially good competition um, from here on out? I mean, it's definitely going to be a point of emphasis. It's probably something they talked about during the correction period on Sunday. It's probably something that they're going to work more on um, probably during – I don't, I don't know how they break down practice in terms of, you know, what they work on on offense. But if they have, like, a third down period, they're definitely going to work on that during third down period. Um, so that that's what I want to see is just some improvement. Again, I don't expect every time they bring six for us to pick it up. That's a, that's a big ask. Okay. But but if we, we got to be more consistent than, you know, one out of eight or whatever it was yeah. on Saturday. Got it. All right. So there's some stuff we want to see on the offensive line. The big piece, get the young guys involved, and let's see the communication get better on blitzes. All right. Now let's talk about the skill positions, even though we've hit it earlier. Obviously, we said Caleb Smith's the key to the room. It was great to see Blumrick and Gosnell get more involved this week. But of all the names we've heard, the one name we have not heard, other than his nasty downfield blocking is Jaden Blue, how important is it to get his confidence up this week and in, 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 in overall start thinking now we have maybe six reliable wide receiver targets. Yeah, and I, I think what's strange is that we've done a good job of like scheming a couple other guys open, particularly Gosnell uh, and Blumrick. I'd like to, to see us start working some, some scheme to get Blue some, some open touches, a chance for him to get the ball in space and let him work a little bit. Because I don't know if it's a confidence thing right now, but he's, he's not getting good separation um, when he's on the field. He hasn't seen a lot of targets, um, and I think we need to start calling his name a little bit to get him comfortable in this offense because he's going to need to play a role in this offense, whether he ends up you know, playing the role that I think that a lot of us thought he could be coming into the season. That's the question, but he's going to still need to play a role for us this year, so we need to start getting him some confidence. Yeah, it, it's definitely he's, – he's, he's sort of like that – I don't want to say it's the linchpin, but I feel like he is. Because if you feel like if you get him going because he does have a the skill set he has, it will make things easier for Caleb. It will make things easier for Connor and Gosnell, even Dwayne. Just, he's like that one guy. Um, so it's really going to be interesting to see. I hope they scheme. I hope that – the, the game plan is, like you said, around scheming him to where he gets the ball and he feels comfortable. All right. Um, notice the depth chart that our friend David Cunningham put out. Did you see who was two on the X side? Uh, yeah, I saw we got uh, Christian Moss out there. Interesting. Um, the walk-on Willie um, officially is no longer on the wide receiver depth. So – we, we, we don't know it, but could Moss have been battling something? We had heard his name mentioned a few times. Um, how important to get him and, you know, somebody else coming back, Jalen Jones, how important to get them on the field for a ton of reps this week? Yeah, I mean, those are the two guys we were talking about preseason of kind of being that, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth guy um, in the wide receiver room that we're going to need to count on to some degree this year. Uh, it's great seeing their names back on the depth chart in the two deep. 
Um, looking forward to seeing what they can do in some extended time. I know Moss, I think, got a got a little run against BC. Um, we haven't seen Jones yet, but he's back in the depth chart, so I'm looking forward to see what he can do out there this week. And this is the week that you can kind of let some of these young guys cook a little bit, I feel like, because um, I don't I, I don't think that they're going to match up that great with us outside. Um, so I, I want to see us try to get some separation. I want to see us work in some young guys. Uh, and get them some targets, just like we did with you know we talked about with Blue. I want to see at least one or two routes schemed for Moss and, and Jalen to kind of get the ball in their hands and, and and make a play. All right, what can we do as far as the tight ends go? You mentioned you were not satisfied with their blocking um, when they're in line or in the wing. What can we do to help? Obviously, playing a lesser opponent is a confidence builder, but what do you look for technique-wise in a game like this? I mean, I think right now the biggest problem is that sometimes uh, it's the assignment. They're not reading the alignment of the defense correctly, and they're missing their assignment. Okay. Um, so I think that's what needs to be looked at this week and corrected is that, um, you know, you got a, a lot of times where you're seeing Gallo um, chip when he when he shouldn't. You got You got him going up to – the wrong backer. You, you, I mean, there, there's a lot of things that are just maybe just Gallo is still getting adjusted to some of the elements of the offense um, mm-hmm. because we didn't see as many of these blocking snafus from him last year. But I don't know whether that's just a, a, a comfort with the offense that he had last year that he hasn't gained this year. Um, he looks a lot better. He's picked up the passing elements quickly. Okay. It seems like he has not picked up the run elements of this offense as as quickly. That's interesting, especially when Gallo was known as kind of the blocking tight end last year. I mean, he got a little, little more of the offensive playmaker role when James Mitchell went out. So I find it interesting he hadn't picked it up that quick. But again, being asked to do different things and maybe it's just not there. Again, we've seen him catch the ball, so we know he can do that. Um but hopefully this week the blocking gets better because as we get – again, this is sort of the one where it's like we're, 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 we're in the woods right now and we're about to hit the opening and we've got a lot of people in front of us we got to go through. Yep. All right, Brian, let's flip the defense. Let's talk a couple things on that side of the ball. Let's just go ahead and say it. With their play in the first two games, Dorian Strong and Armani Chapman have absolutely locked down the ones. Yeah, they played well. Um, other than like, you know, one 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 ball here or there, um, not a whole lot to, you know, shake my fist at for them. Um, Strong's had some good plays. You know, had the, had the one where he got burned on that double move by Zay Flowers, but you know, who in the ACC hasn't at one point? Um, you know, Chapman with the big pick to set us up to to really kind of get BC off their game early. So they're locked in there. Uh, but we did see Breon Murray back from suspension this week. Uh, we saw DJ Harvey get significantly more run this week um, outside and in the nickel, uh, which I think was good because it, it gave uh, Harvey more confidence and it gave Strong and Chapman the opportunity to get a blow and stay fresh for longer into the game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that really helped as the game wore on when Murray and Harvey had been in there getting those reps, getting those chances. Um, but, you know, the, the one touchdown that BC scored, 
it doesn't look I, I think Murray is who he is. And I and I don't think I think he's good for a blow. He's good situationally. But I think the next time there is a team inside the thirty yard line, I have a feeling Brian Murray won't be on the field. Yeah, I mean, you know, we talked about him struggling with, you know, guys with with speed or size. Um and you know, he does a lot better when he's able to read and react. He doesn't do a great sometimes when he's asked to to, to run with those guys. Um, and I'm, I'm looking for some improvement because right now it's mostly inconsistencies and in technique and decision-making on his part. Um, if he can clean some of that up, he might be a little bit more reliable, but I think he's good enough again, as you said, to kind of give those key guys a blow, especially in certain parts of the field. Yeah. It's like, he's going to be a between the thirties guy because the, the touchdown he gave up to Jaden Williams. I mean, as soon as you saw the lineup in the route here, and you knew he was running a fade, and and some and he never got around, and it was just an easy touchdown for Williams. So, but again, it, that's okay. At least I'm going to go back to something Prize said: know your weaknesses. Now we officially know that's Breon's weakness. It's still the weakness. Here to here, he's fine though. Let's. It's going to be like we've got to situationally get him in at the beginning of drives. Um, so it's going to be such a key thing there. All right, Brian, um, let's talk about the D line because I think if there, and we're holding them off till last, because I think if there is a group that has now in multiple games at both positions, I think this group has now become pleasantly surprising, at least to me, at least to me. And yeah, I thank you. <laughs> yeah, I thought this group was going to be fine this year. I thought they were going to struggle depth wise, but I thought they would be fine. Not much more than that. Um, and they've really been probably outside of the linebackers, you know, playing as as well as any other group on the defense. And because we knew that we had a veteran secondary, we had a veteran linebacker core, and we had, you know, one vet and then a you know, one vet at, at, at uh, defensive end, one vet in the D tackle room, and then a couple of other young guys that we were bringing along. We weren't really sure kind of what the D line was going to look like. We knew we had some depth concerns at D tackle because we only had three proven guys there. And, you know, they've stepped up. Uh, we've, we've gotten some additional play out of Garbett. He played a ton of snaps against ODU and then came back and had the game of his life against yeah. BC the very next week. Um, we saw, you know, McCray was healthy this week. He got some more run, um, looked good. Um, looks at least like he's going to be able to give us, um, that second unit, um, rusher that we need and, you know, interior, I'm going to give a big shout out to Wilfred Panay. Um, he's improved significantly since last year. Um, he's definitely shrunk the gap between him and those, like those big three that we had just talked about in that room. Yeah. Um, you know, we thought there was going to be kind of a drop off, you know, once you ca- got past Kendrick's, uh, Pollard and Fuga and, and there isn't a significant drop off there. Uh-uh. There's not, he he's going out there. Um, you know, obviously he got a half sack this week and there were numerous times you could see him beating this guy off the snap. He's gained that weight. You know, he was, he was, he was undersized last year and now he's getting up into the two eighty range. He's an athlete anyway. I know when you looked at his tape, like, 
kid's an athlete. They got to figure out what to do with him. Um, and I think that's great to see because now that you've got four on that, you can continue to – and we saw that Saturday night. Man, you saw him. You saw him and Kendricks, him and Fuga. You saw Fuga and Pollard. You saw Pollard and Panea. That constant rotation, which I think is something we've gotten even more excited about because it feels like, although Brent Price calling the defense, I think Chris Marv is handling the rotations. I do not foresee Brent Pry handling both. Um, and and that's a good thing. And you, you mentioned C.J. McCray. The more I see Cole Nelson, the, and I don't think it's next year. I think next year he is going to be a very good defensive end. I think two years from now, I think Cole Nelson is going to be special. I, you are you're seeing the flashes, getting the time this year. I think next year there's going to be some learning because you've got to be the guy. I think 2024, I think that kid could be all ACC. Just what I'm seeing right now. We'll see, man. I mean, I, I like his progress. I like that he's taken some steps coming into this year because we needed it, right? Like we, yeah, we were, 100%. we needed somebody else to step up. I'm glad to see McCray stepping up. I'm glad to see him stepping up. I think that's going to be play, pay dividends down the road because we got a lot of young guys outside of Garbit that are, that are making some plays on that uh, defensive end position. Absolutely. All right. Y'all for making prediction, let's just go with a few hokey keys here. I think the first one, Brian, as soon as I seen Walford didn't score again, is we cannot play down to this opponent. We yep. need to force our will upon them. Yeah, and, and that that's counting on both sides. I don't think the defense is going to have a problem making plays and, and keeping them in check. I need to see some level of domination from the offense. And I need yeah. to see that out the gate. Well, you won't, I think you've already said you want 250 on the ground. And I, yeah. and I think I want, at, I want at least 250 on the ground. And then I, I mean, I want to get the younger guys some experience because I feel like that is going to be the biggest, biggest thing this week. That's, that's key. Number two is getting young guys experience all over the field, um, all over, the all field. over the field, every position, the young guys need to play. And I'd say specifically, we're, we got to look at the wide receiver room. Uh, yeah. and I, we, we talked about that in our, in our, uh, know thyself get those young guys out there. Um, I want to see, I want to see Brown getting some, some run out there. I'd like to see Devin get out there and get, get at least a few, a um, couple throws and a few runs uh, if we can. Yeah. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, get some of the younger linebackers, some more play, get some of the, the younger guys in the, in the safety room, some more play. What about the inside? What about, what about the line? Do you think, I mean, we, I mean, Burgos and, uh, who am I missing here? Why can I not think? Moiston. Moiston. I think they've gotten some run already. But I think we need to look at the D tackles too. Because obviously, you know, after next year, we're going to be losing to, I think, give them run. Know this. You, you have get Gunner out there? Why not? Why not? For this game, why not? Because you still have three games where you can, you can still save the shirt. So, I'm with you. Everywhere on that field. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you could you could unload the clip in my. It, it, we should we should be every, up enough where I, you can unload the clip. Walk on, walk on. All right. I think this is a real big one, and, and not only to for the rest of the season, or it, this is a big one for the rest of the season. We've got to continue to play clean. And when I say clean, 
I'm talking about the penalties. Yeah. I know turnovers are going to happen. I, you know, you hold your hands up on that. But I don't want to see the dumb penalties again. I don't want to see the procedural stuff. We cleaned it up. Let's continue to do that for the rest of the season because the less times we shoot ourselves in the foot, it's going to make it tougher on the other teams, especially if our defense is still going the way it's going. Yeah, and I think the big thing is we don't have to necessarily win the turnover battle, but we can't lose it. Yeah. When we look at turnovers. Uh, as far as the penalties, yeah, we, we've got to keep it around that, you know, four or five for 25 or 30 that we had this week versus, you know, 15 for 110. Um that, that that's a, that's a big difference. You can't give up an entire drive of ex, an extra entire drive worth of penalties. Um, really, two drives, and if, if you look at it, uh, in penalties uh, compared to the ODU game. So that's got to be something that we we keep up with. Um, you know, a PI here or there, you know, a hold. Sometimes that happens, um, but we, we yeah. can't get burned by almost fifty yards of procedural pen, penalties like we did against ODU. So. Keep that clean, keep that moving, um, and I think we're going to be onto something. And I'm going to say the last one here: yeah. um, we need we need some Beamer ball this week. Uh, we need at least one defensive or special team score. Uh, they're going to give us some opportunities both in the in the special teams game and with that offense throwing mm-hmm. and putting the ball on the turf. All right. Take advantage of it and get the ball in the end zone. I mean, if if we play the way we I think we can, we have the potential to put up fourteen to twenty one just on defense and special teams alone. Ooh, all right. Well, then if you're thinking that, what's your prediction for this game? My prediction for this game is that the Hokies do not sleepwalk out the gate. They they are solid on offense and they are spectacular on defense. It's a forty one to nothing win for the Hokies. All right. I am not far. Same exact margin of victory. I say Hokies 44, I say Wofford 3. I do think they break their streak and they can average one point a game. But when they get their field goal, it's going to be against six-string walk-ons in the fourth quarter. After the first half when we put up 31 points and basically cruise home from there. So I think big wins. Do I want to see more? Yeah. I'd love to see 60. I'd love to see 63-7 or 63-3. Um, but I think since we know the importance of mixing in a lot of the younger guys, um, I, I think I if we think get up, get up five or six touchdowns, we're, we're going to start getting everybody else in. Absolutely. All right, Brian, let's look at the big screeners this weekend. A lot of really good games going on ranked battle up in Oregon this week. And I'm going to take it down South. I'm going to go down to the plains of Auburn where, Brent Price, former team, goes on the road to play Auburn. Auburn has struggled in their first two games. They almost lost to San Jose State at Auburn last weekend. I think they won 24-16. Penn State's going in there, laying three points. And I think Penn State wins this game by about 10, like 31-21, because I, they're they're trying to get Brian Hartson fired down there. Let him lose. Let, let, let him lose Penn State. They'll probably go ahead and buy him out on Sunday morning. What about you? What's yours? My big screener is one that has a little bit of ACC flavor, a little bit of yeah, all right. Let's let's pile on. I've got Miami at Texas A and M. Let let's let's keep piling on A and M while the balls are rolling right here. So uh, okay. right now A and M is a uh, five and a half point favorite at home. 
Okay. I'm picking Miami in this one. Um, I'm not sure if, if, if making the quarterback change is going to be what is needed and we'll see if that's what, that's what happens this week. Um, but there could, there could be a, another acclimation period between getting a new signal caller in there. And before this offense is humming, like it needs to, to win. Um, and when I look at Miami, they're a better quality opponent than the app state, um, in terms of the, the talent that they have on the field. So I don't think that A&M is quite ready for prime time again. Okay. Um, even with the quarterback change, if that's the route they go. So I think Miami takes care of business in a close one. Uh, but I'm picking Miami to not only cover, but to win the game outright. All righty. All right. We'll write those two down. Brian, has anything broken in the last hour and 26 minutes? I think we're good, man. I don't see anything of of import. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website, BoundaryCornerBT.com, to listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us in and play us out. Check him out on his new website, JasonLongMusic.com. Can you pull that up for a second, Brian, where it will link you to all of his music on Apple and Spotify, to his YouTube pages, his Facebook pages. Where is he playing this weekend? Is he out at the farmer's market before kickoff? Let's see. Uh, I don't see anything on his schedule until October 2nd right now. All right, so Jason's nowhere this weekend. But check his stuff out as always. We thank you guys for always listening. And as always, let's go. Okies! Okay.